Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. Today is Monday, April 12th, 2021. I'm JVL sitting in for the vacationing Charlie Sykes, who is vaccinated and off licking people's faces and living life in glorious high definition. I am here with my best friend, Sarah Longwell, publisher of the Bulwark. Sarah, here we are doing our secret podcast in front of the whole world. It's a little weird, isn't it? It is a little weird. And I'm sorry, why are you sitting in for Charlie? Why aren't uh, I sitting uh, in for Charlie? Or does it take two of us to sit in for Charlie? It it takes two of us to to fill in the the chair impression left by Charlie Sykes. Uh, <laughs> JBL and I do the secret show together. For those of you, uh, Charlie has a much bigger audience than we do, which I'm going to chalk up to the fact that it's free. Uh, but if you are interested in the secret show, which JBL and I do uh, a couple times a week, um, you should become a Bulwark Plus subscriber. We'd love to have you. Yeah, well, you should become a Bulwark Plus subscriber anyway, because uh, it's great. So, Sarah, we got a bunch of stuff to talk about today. Can we start with the Republican donor retreat in Florida over the weekend? It was pretty amazing. The president of the United States, who was defeated, who cost the Republican Party their majorities in both the House and the Senate, uh, said once again that the election had been rigged and was bullshit. Those are both quotes. Uh, he said that the people responsible for overturning the legitimate results in Georgia were, are you ready? Stacey Abrams, Oprah Winfrey, and Barack Hussein Obama. That's so interesting. I wonder why he chose those three people. What do they have in God? Who could say? Who could say? Uh, and he then went and beat up on uh, Mitch McConnell. He, he called him a dumb, dumb son of a bitch, is I think what he called Mitch McConnell. I believe that's true. He mocked Elaine Chow. He said, I hired his wife. Did he ever say thank you? As if Elaine Chow like needed a job, like that she was you know, just out on the unemployment line, hoping for bread, and he brought her in off the street anyway. And then he mocked Elaine Chow for resigning after the January 6th uh, resur uh, resurrection, <laughs> insurrection, saying she suffered so greatly. Uh, and then he beat up on Mike Pence, saying that he wished that he had just had more courage. Uh, and the Republicans who were in attendance were outraged. They took to Twitter to, to, to object and say that this man does not speak for them and that they are focused on the future for America and beating this pandemic, which has claimed the lives of nearly 600,000 of their fellow Americans. And wait, did any of those things happen? Ha 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 ha. None of those things happened. Oh. Uh, no, there was a, a donor pilgrimage down to Mar-a-Lago. Uh, I think a few dissatisfied customers leaked to some Politico reporters, maybe Maggie Haberman. Um, but it sounds like on the whole, uh, you know, the world is as it was. And I think Trump got a got a like a medal or a, an award from from Rick Scott from Florida, gave him like the Freedom Award. He created like a an award for him. <laughs> this is literally a part. This is the definition of a participation trophy that uh, what we had was we had. Let me pull up the name of the award. It is the uh, 
the first ever NRSC Champion for Freedom Award. And it's a little a little silver cup. And Rick Scott gave it to him. They created an award to give it to former President Donald Trump as his participation trophy for having been president and failing in his real life. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it's you amazing. You might almost think that these were snowflakes. I hear that snowflakes are so dangerous. Uh, Good what, God. So here's the the thing. The idea that there were some Republican donors who decided to leak their dissatisfaction anonymously. anonymously um, what do you think? What do you think that portends? The idea that that the is is are, are the donor class uh, turning on Trump or did somehow uh, the Politico reporters and Maggie Haberman find, you know, the three traditional Republican donors? Um, who, you know, never liked Trump to begin with and, you know, just decided to give them a little story. Like, do you think that the preponderance of the donors that were down there got exactly what they wanted? I don't think any of the donors have ever liked Trump outside of the Mercers. They just like power. And this guy, I mean, what I don't understand is going to this event and then leaking about it. Like, what did they expect? Here, here's a quote from one of the from one of the attendees. It was horrible. It was long and negative. It was dour. He didn't talk about the positive things that his administration has done. Are you surprised? Did, did this rich idiot never watch over the last course of the last five years and understand that everything Trump ever talks about was grievance? It, like, I, so I don't think, you know, again, outside of Rebecca Mercer uh, and her leather daddy, that there was uh ever a ton of donor love for Trump. They were just, you know, go along to get along because they're team team Republican rich people and team Republican rich people like whoever is wearing the R jersey. No? Do you disagree? Uh, yeah, I think there's probably more going on there than that. I think that, I mean, I don't know how many Republican donors you've ever spent time around, but I, I think that, look, they had to talk themselves into a lot of things uh, to, to get on team Trump over the last four years, right? So, you know, they had to believe that the Democrats are in fact socialists trying to push, um, you know, the most left-wing agenda in existence. Yeah, um, look at that $45 minimum wage the Biden administration passed. <laughs> look at the, uh, look at the, there are now 15 Supreme Court seats and the filibuster has been uh, totally destroyed and nuked. And Puerto Rico and D.C. are both states now. So you can tell it's been the most socialist agenda ever. Right. OK, well, Biden's just getting started. So let's not let's not assume none of those things. I mean, probably not forty five dollar minimum wage, but like we're going to get he's going to get that fifteen dollar minimum wage one way or the other. I think uh, wouldn't shock me if if there was a big there are, there is a big push for D.C. to become a state. Look, I'm not going to sit here and fight with you. This is a this is administration is a solidly democratic uh, administration that is pushing uh, plenty of left wing ideas. The question is, uh, is it is it the socialist hellscape that the donors are being told that it is? I think that's a stretch. Um, the point is, the point, this is, for, forget all of that stuff. Here's what's amazing about this. It was three months and change ago, this guy incited an insurrection. So if you go back three months the only person who could go down, who would go down to Mar-a-Lago was Kevin McCarthy, right? These donors, there was a period, I think, not that long ago, where they were saying to themselves, I'm out, I'm done with Trump. 
And over the intervening three months, they have all worked themselves back to a place where it's fine. The insurrection's not a big deal. The Trump didn't wasn't the one who did. I mean, remember when this guy got impeached for a second historical time? And he's still able to get the entire Republican donor community, every senior Republican office holder, to come to spend money at his hotel. Like he hasn't been his his his, his uh, reputation hasn't been uh, has taken no hit. Nobody seems to feel embarrassed. Like okay, so they're so they're leaking about the fact that his speech was kind of dour. Which I don't know if they've met the president, but that's just you know it's negative is kind of the grievance. The grievance stick shtick is is all there is. It's the fact that it completely seems like the insurrection never happened. That's what's amazing to me. Well, you see, it's not amazing to me, though. And that's because one of the lessons of the entire Trump era has been a a masterclass in where power flows through. And for a long time, people thought the power flowed through the party and through the elites and through donors. And Trump came to remind people that that's not the case. Power flows up through the people. And the people broadly speaking, within the Republican Party, are with Trump. They are, boy, are they with Trump. They're with Trump all the way. And they're not with Trump despite the insurrection. They're with Trump because of the insurrection, because he fights. This is what they want. And because of that, the donors and the Republican elites and Christy Noem and Ron DeSantis and Ron Johnson and all these people just trot along after them. Like little doggies. Do you remember when Lindsey Graham reached up and undid the zipper on his his gimp mask and said, after January sixth, that's it. I just can't. I just can't go along with it. I've been I'm through out. so much. I'm out. out. This is a bridge too far for me. And uh, there he was, down golfing it up with uh, Donald Trump just this weekend. And it's because Lindsey looked around, and realized that his voters are with Trump. And none of these people, this is what amazes. They are so, so desperate and needy for power that they'll do whatever it takes. They have no principles whatsoever. There is no larger game afoot. There's no, we're here to make the country better or advance principle X or principle Y. They're just there to maintain power. And in a way, that's that's kind of fitting because that's all the Republican Party is for anymore as well. This is why the Republican Party had no platform for the 2020 election. Their their platform was literally whatever Trump says now, we believe in. And then whatever he says five minutes from now, we'll believe in that too. That's the party. Yeah, I'll say I recognize some of the names in, in these stories. Um, and so there's there's people that I know who they are, who are, you know, attending these things. And it's interesting because they they're there. They do have things that they care about, like they they let's they care about school choice, for example. Like they've got issues that matter to them. Do they? Um, I'm telling you, yeah, they do. And so I think it. What I what I think for at least some of them, I'm not surprised that there was leaking because I think a bunch of people showed up. These donors showed up to to hear what what is this party going to be going forward because it currently has no. Nothing that animates it. Uh, and I just don't think they got the answer that they wanted. 
which is that that there was nobody presenting sort of a competing vision. Um, it was mostly, I think, for for people like us who are political observers, what was interesting, uh, besides just the devastating awareness that nobody cares, nobody on the Republican donor side cares about the fact that there was an insurrection, was sort of all of the kind of petty slights that occurred. Um, or, or so, for example, uh, who got the best speaking slots? Ron DeSantis over Marco Rubio. Uh, Josh Mandel, the, the guy who's trying to out-maga everybody in the Republican primary in Ohio, uh, got tossed from an event. And one of his uh, competitors, who was the former chair in Ohio, uh, who is, I guess, herself a donor, uh, was allowed in the event where he was like had to be escorted out. He's now the Laura Loomer of the Republican Party. Imagine that. Imagine being <laughs> so far, except that he's like a formerly reasonable person, right? Isn't this the rap on Josh Mandel is that he was a normal person until five minutes ago? I don't think it was five minutes ago, but he was sort of a Romney guy. I guess I've talked to some people in Ohio who who basically say he was always strange and always kind of a, just a climber, pure power hungry type person. So I guess he was when I when I he first came on my radar, uh, he was a Romney guy. And so I don't know, he seemed normal enough to me, but I didn't have a particularly close look at him. Uh, but watching him now, I mean, he's clearly this is clearly a crazy person. Um, I, I mean, the the, the, the that's going to be good for him in, in Ohio, though. Yeah, maybe. I mean, Ohio's tough. There's that's a that's a real race because you've got <laughs> that's where you've got the 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 MAGA who was basically the establishment candidate who used to be, uh, I don't know whether she was chair of the GOP. Um, I think her name is Timken. And then there's, so there's, that's the MAGA. And then there's the, uh, like the mega MAGA, uh, who is JD Vance, uh, and who has got $10 million already of Peter Thiel money. And then there's the extra mega MAGA, uh, in Josh Mandel, who's basically trying to just out MAGA everybody by being as absolutely racist and repulsive as possible. You sure that's not J.D. Vance who's trying to be as racist and repulsive as possible? It's hard to tell. It's a very difficult race they're all in. Yeah, it's a. Uh, but here's here's what I I want to push back a little bit on when when you say that you know they want to pretend that January sixth never happened. Did you see the other news from this morning about Josh Hawley? That he raised like three million bucks, three million dollars yeah. after attempt. Again, this is not. It is not the case that they want to airbrush January sixth out. It's that January sixth is now a positive good. It's a, it's all the lost cause. This is like looking at Southerners who fetishize the Confederacy and the War of Northern Aggression. That's what the Republican Party is now, and the twenty twenty election is their cause. And it's crazy because none of them actually believe it. Had Donald Trump just conceded the election, you know, three days after uh, November 3rd, the way every other president does, uh, none of these people would be making these insane arguments. They're just doing it because this is what the head of the authoritarian party they belong to demanded. Right. I mean, this is if had Trump conceded, none of these people would be running around saying, uh, well, you know, it was stolen. We really can't know what happened. Blah, blah, blah. The guy lost by seven million votes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. Did you happen to catch Boehner on the CBS News or uh, he did he did one of the like one of the long form weekly shows? 
I did uh, not. Week. I was watching WrestleMania instead of Jim Boehner. Sorry, guys. Go ahead. John Boehner. Uh, John Boehner. That guy. <laughs> He's He did this interview where he was talking about, you know, he was he was being he was sort of weird. I mean, he was he like cried about uh, the January 6th insurrection, which I think, you know, is That's fair. That's his move. He it's always, his, he's a crier. It's his, it's his he's move. a crier. I don't want to make fun of him because it is extremely sad and devastating. Um, but it is also a little funny when he does it. Um, but he was talking about the terrorists in the caucus, like that they just the the that terrorized him. He he kind of refused to go that far for Trump. But his point his point about these noisemakers, the people who have figured out, because this is what this is. I look at those fundraising numbers from Josh Hawley, which still managed to uh, not be as much as Marjorie Taylor Greene. He didn't quite get there. Uh, but he, he also had – she had much – a higher number of small dollar donors. Like she had about uh, 100,000 people who donated to her. An average donation, I believe it was $32. He has 57,000 donors uh, that managed to get him to the $3 million mark. But, but Boehner's point, and it goes to – all the incentives, right? Who cares about corporations anymore? Who, I mean, they can, the louder they yell, the more noise that they make, um, the more they're able to fill their coffers from small dollar donors who want to see them quote unquote fighting. Um, and that's, that's what I, so, but, but to your point, I guess my, my answer would be, I think they would have found something to scream and yell about anyway. I mean, like Donald Trump is both is both somebody that people are following, but he was also following a trend that I think he just saw kind of as a marketing guy before the rest of us did, which is that there were a lot of people who were here for this shtick, who were here for this act, who would open up their wallets for it, who wanted to see exactly what Donald Trump is is doing. And I mean, it's funny, you know, Josh Hawley didn't care that some of his biggest donors in his state walked away. I bet, I don't know. I, I, I actually, I shouldn't make this pronouncement without checking it. I wonder if this is his biggest haul to date. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, I I mean, there, there's a real question here. Uh, you know, when, when Bill was on the show with Charlie on Friday, Bill made the point that, you know, I mean, where, where was John Boehner before the book? Right. This is this is, you know, like uh, like John Bolton, like John Bolton. Right. I mean, you know, he Boehner was basically pro Trump in 2016. You know, he didn't like Trump, but getting he was on board. He didn't not so far as I can tell, didn't work to defeat Trump in 2020. You know, and now he's like, oh, this is so dangerous. OK, well, that's great. And I'm glad you're not still covering for him. But the the Republican Party, you know, they're. Did you ever hear this? There, there used to be a maxim in conservative world, which was that any institution which was not explicitly conservative would eventually become liberal. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Any, any conservative ink or Republican institution which is not explicitly anti-Trump becomes pro-Trump. And, you know, this is the people who, as Bill said on this show, the people who think that they could just stay away from it. And, you know, I'm not going to get dragged into the mud on this. And I'm so tired of these fights. Blah, blah, blah. I'm just going to do something else. They wind up enabling it. And, you know, it has to be fought because this stuff is authoritarian. You did you did you see the Nevada Secretary of State stuff where they're going after the Over woman the there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
this and is what, bad. They're, cent- they're censuring her? Centering her and kicking her out of the party? Republican Secretary of State Barbara, I'm going to butcher her last name, Sagavsky? Sagavsky. Sagavsky. Barbara with Babs. Babs. So she uh, was by the the Central Committee of the Republican Party in Nevada. They voted to A, censure her. Okay. And uh, B, say that they they were so upset, this is the party, that she did not sufficiently investigate all the many claims of voter fraud and that she brought intense dishonor upon the Nevada Republican Party. So her, if I can get this right, her refusal to commit a crime brought intense dishonor upon the Nevada Republican Party. Yeah, the local Republican parties have really lost their minds. And I mean, this is, this is, look, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, he's being challenged by Jody Heiss in Georgia, who is a major election truther. Um, you know, the people in the the guy in Michigan, I can't remember his Van, Van, what was his last name? Uh, not Van Helsing, but there was the guy who- Yeah, the Michigan like, canvas board guy. Yeah, there was on the, yeah. board, the canvas board. He's gone. He's been, he, I mean, he just got- I, he may have resigned or but he got he got pushed out. No, he was just removed. He didn't oh, he resign. Removed. He was just removed. Yeah. Uh, it's an appointed position. This is happening all over the place for people who refused uh to just in in yeah, break break the law, not do their jobs. People who did their jobs. This is this is Trump is moving uh, Van Van Langeveld was his last name. Aaron Van Langeveld. Uh and and this is this is what makes me very, you know, nervous about the future is that the 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 Trump folks are and the and the Republican Party are actively removing people who were willing to do their jobs. And so they're basically removing any good faith actor from the party, which means that those safeguards, the things that that allow and, and listening to Trump this weekend, I mean, the nature of his remarks were all about uh excoriating people for being unwilling to take those extra steps. I mean, even Mike Pence, who he says, oh, you know, I like Mike Pence, but he didn't have the courage to 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 do what needed to be done. I mean, this is now, it has moved from them being on defense uh, in terms of an, a country pointing at them and saying, this was wrong. This was horrible. What a, what a tragic day in our country to have a capital attacked while people are trying to certify an election. People trying to, people tried to overturn an election. We didn't have a peaceful transition of power. Rather than them being on defense for that, they're on offense. They're on offense removing everybody who stood up that day. So so here's the I'm, I'm going to preview. This is actually something I've been planning to write for my newsletter, The Triad, tomorrow on Tuesday. And uh, if, it's only for subscribers to Bulwark Plus. So if you want to read the full thing and not just my working through it with Sarah here, you should go to the, to the website and sign up for Bulwark Plus today. Uh, we have been saying that the Republicans never conducted an autopsy after the 2020 election. That's wrong. They have conducted an autopsy, but the autopsy is not about how to get more votes. It's about how to properly overturn an election. 
So this is, you know, I mean, there are a number of ways to win the presidency, right? One of which is to get more votes. Another of which is to not get more votes than the other guy, but to win more, more certified electoral college votes. Another way to win the presidency is to lose the popular vote and lose the electoral college vote, but to uh, find a way to prevent enough certified electoral votes from reaching 270 so that the uh, congressional delegations can vote their own thing, right? So, so what Republicans are in the process of doing is moving down to that third option. And that's what their autopsy is about. Their autopsy is, how can we actually make the coup work next time? And it's really, it's really fucking amazing because the Democrats are, you know, looking around at themselves. How do we add more votes? How do we broaden our coalition? How do we, how do we try to win back working class voters? And, blah, 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 blah. and Republicans are now explicitly, explicitly an authoritarian movement, which is not interested in getting more popular support, but is interested in figuring out how to use the various levers and legal mechanisms to overturn the popular will. That's what the party is. Yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna. I, yeah, I, look, I agree with that mostly. I just, I, I would, I would kind of define it differently um, because I think, although one flows from the other, but I think that what 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 always strikes me about the Republican Party is how post-truth it is. I mean, they have just constructed an alternate reality. And of course, um, that kind of post-truth nihilism is what opens the door to authoritarianism. Because when there's no truth, you can fill that void with whatever the leader says it is. Um, and, and you know, I, I do think when the donors show up to this event, not just to see Trump, right? They also want to see who are the new bright lights in the Republican Party. Like, what's the future look like? What's out there? And I think that was part of the what you saw the grumbling was that they didn't feel like there was enough talk about the future because a lot of these people do want to. It's not even that it's explicitly turning the page on Trump, but they want to see, you know, they want to get a look at Ron DeSantis and kick the tires on him. These and people don't understand that the entire idea of Trumpism is backward looking. It's a revanchist movement. That is why the slogan is literally make America great again. The entire enterprise is backward looking. <laughs> ah! Okay, but, but I've got a sorry. question for you. I'm sorry. No, Go I, ahead. So so you and I joke on the secret pot a lot when we talk about Ron DeSantis uh, about how, you know, if you start to become the guy who is the obvious front runner, assuming with the caveat, assuming Trump doesn't run, if you're Ron DeSantis uh, and you're getting more and more popular, uh, you know, is that a good thing? Like, are you are you being groomed as Trump's vice president when he runs again in 2024? Or should you hire somebody to taste your food? Because the more popular you get, the more Trump decides he wants to go after you. Uh, but it was interesting to me that he got sort of the prime slot, uh, right, over over Marco Rubio. Uh, and what is what do you make of that? Do you think that Trump is setting up Ron DeSantis? I mean, of course, it wasn't Trump's event exactly. I mean, it was an RNC event. But still, yeah, that means it's Trump's I mean, event. So DeSantis has a little bit of a home field advantage because everything now has to happen around Florida because that's where Trump lives. And so yeah, but DeSantis that's where Rubio kind lives of too. becomes, yeah, but he's only the senator. And also, you'll remember, he was anti-Trump once, right? And that, you know, 
Trump will let you back he, into the fold, but you never get all the way into the family if you've been anti-Trump. Marco, Marco did lock up Trump's endorsement. Yeah, did you see that recently? I, I did not see that. Little Marco did that. Good for him. He deserves yeah. everything he's got coming. <laughs> uh, yeah, I. You know, I. This is. I've made this plea on the Secret Show. I will make this plea now. If you are a friend of Time Magazine's Molly Ball, you should email your friend. I, I know Molly a little bit. I, maybe I should do this too. And what the world needs is for Molly to go out and do a gigantic cover story for Time Magazine on Ron DeSantis, making the case that Ron DeSantis is just the much smarter version of Trump. He's Trump plus 50 IQ points. And talk about all the smart things he has done that Donald Trump couldn't possibly have done because of his small fingers and little brain. And then put a very beautiful photograph of Ron DeSantis on uh, the cover of Time magazine and give give make a headline something like the smarter Trump. And then watch what happens to his political fortunes. Does that does that make you warm in your belly, Sarah, when I say that? <laughs> uh, yeah. Every time I talk about Republican politics now, I just it's all let them fight, Jeff. So JVL. So there was another Florida Republican not in attendance at the RNC meeting, one Matt Gates. Uh, and we obviously don't have to go through everything that's happening in Gates' world right now. Um, but Donald Trump and his team, you know, not exactly throwing a lifeline to Gates here. Uh, like, first of all, he's not, he's not, he's from Florida, the panhandle. Uh, he's not at the RNC meeting and or giving like a, a prime speaking slot. Uh, and it doesn't seem like anybody was rushing to his defense here. Well, that's because Trump loyalty only runs one way, right? I mean, this is, you know, uh, sloppy Steve Bannon barely knew him. I don't, you know, I, he was bad. I don't even really know who that guy is. I, I guess I saw somebody walking around the white house once with a lot of shirts on, uh, you know, I mean, this is this is the, the way it always is with people who serve Trump when it is convenient for Trump and Trump has something to gain from defending them. He will do it. When Trump has nothing to gain, he'll let them twist in the wind. Right. This is it, I, I can't imagine that Matt Gates is surprised by this. Can you? I don't know. Matt, Matt Gates was going to give up his congressional career to go defend Donald Trump at the impeachment trial. Do you remember that? Oh, I remember. He was willing. He was, he was willing, willing to do it. I mean, as we now know, he was basically preparing to walk away from his congressional career anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think there should be any surprise here. Uh, but Trump will defend him once it becomes convenient for Trump again. Right? Right now, it'll be inconvenient and he'd have to come up with something and it would change the subject to talking about how persecuted Matt Gates is rather than how persecuted Donald Trump is. And that's why Trump has no need to defend him. I wonder what Gates would have gotten from it though. I mean, what do you think there's a big upside for him for getting Trump on his side explicitly? I guess that probably is good for him to have that, right? A hundred percent. I mean, first of all, then he could monetize it. Uh, mm. right. I mean, 
that because he's already doing this. I mean, Gates is there's a go to play. We all know what it is now from Republicans, and it it's working. I mean, look at Josh Hawley, look at Marjorie Taylor Greene. The more you say they're after me, they're trying to cancel me. Um, this is the deep state. This is the liberal media. Um, and you know when Trump will appear with you and sort of uh, give you access to all of his uh, all of his juice. Uh, it's helpful. I mean, the fact that Marjorie Taylor Greene raised three point two million dollars, uh, despite in that in the course of that time, think about what happened to her. She was stripped of her committee assignments. She was. It became uh, high profile and well known that she was uh, had a bunch of support for QAnon. Uh, a video surfaced in which uh, she. Uh, was screaming at uh, one of the survivors of the Parkland shooting, a teenager. Um, you know, she denied that the plane hit the Pentagon uh, during 9-11. Um, she said that there should not be any peaceful transition of power the day before the insurrection. She was one of the chief proponents of saying that Donald Trump had in fact won the election when he had not. She also said that the shootings at Parkland and Sandy Hook were false flag operations. I mean, all of that is what became known during the period of time in which she raised $3.2 million and which she was able to put out that Donald Trump was supporting her, right? She had a nice phone call with him. Um, and so, you know, I think that that Donald Trump is actively – could signal in favor of Gates and at least help him from a, a public opinion standpoint, although I will – or with, with their people and help him monetize the grievance because that's what they're doing. They're monetizing the grievance. Um of course, he was still the women's group. The women's uh, Trump group did, of course, have him to speak. <laughs> because why not? Yeah, well, he's he's a great supporter of women. Uh, so this is an interesting question here, though. If Gates isn't going to run again, what does he need the money for? Right? Because the, the fundraising then gets locked up into a, uh, a vehicle that needs to be spent on political expenditures. I think he wouldn't be able to. So if he's going to walk out the door. You don't then, think legal fees? You don't think he can? He's gonna. He's gonna need some help uh, on that. I don't. Yeah. Well, that's the question. Could he? Could he ch- switch it to a legal defense fund? And that's possible. I fully expect that as soon as we know that Matt Gates isn't definitively going to jail, then we will get a picture from the gilded throne room at Mar-a-Lago of him standing next to Trump with Trump giving the big thumbs up. Right. Yeah. That, that's and we'll get a tweet about that. Had a great meeting at Mar-a-Lago with my president and uh, so excited to be able to go off to Newsmax and defend him every day from five to seven. Watch my show, The Gates Connection. Right. I mean, this is <laughs> is is that not a tweet from the future? Uh, so I don't. But the, the other have I missed Republicans bailing on Matt Gates? Like, is this a thing that's happening in the House and I just haven't seen it? No. Well, I mean, the only thing is, is, again, anonymous leaking that said um, that they would if it if it turned if the investigation turned up that he had, in fact, paid, uh, you know, an underage girl for sex, that they wouldn't wait for the Democrats to take him down. They would do it themselves. What about the but, free market? I'm sorry. Is 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 a, a man not able to pay an underage girl for sex? What is this communism that we're not going to let the free market work? No, I can't do that. We're not going. No, I think that's not a thing. <laughs> uh, but that's not but, a thing. But I but I do think. I mean, look, it, 
you and I talk about this in the secret show a lot, the fact that nobody resigns anymore, uh, Cuomo, whatever. But I, these, yeah, Andrew Cuomo is still in office. It is right remarkable. Now. It is remarkable that, um, you know, just the fact that there are people who've gone on the record saying that he was showing uh, naked pictures of women on the House floor, um, that he's obviously had myriad inappropriate relationships, comporting himself poorly. Uh, it, it just in talking about the things that we know right now that are not the criminal part, not the underage part. Uh, I do think it is, uh, I don't know how surprising it is at this point, but compared to the Republican Party that we knew, let's say 20 years ago, uh, it is shocking there's not been, you know, one statement against him. He's had a couple statements of support, Jim Jordan, Marjorie Taylor Greene, um, you know, the really responsible people in Congress. Uh, but yeah, no, nobody's come out to be like, you know what? He should resign. Or at least with Cuomo, you've got the entire Democratic delegation that's, in New York calling for him to resign. That's what I was going to say. There is no both sides on this because, look, Andrew Cuomo didn't resign uh, because you can't force him out, right? There, There is no button you can push to eject him. Um, but at least the Democratic Party all got up and went on record and said, you know what? This isn't OK and you should go. And with Gates, nothing, nothing. It is absolutely. And what's here's the other thing. It is not the case that behind the scenes, he's just personally popular with all the other Republicans. By all accounts, he's absolutely hated by his peers. His peers detest him, but they're afraid of him. Right. Because they're afraid of MAGA world. They're afraid of their own voters. This is again, this is the roots of the entire insurrection thing is that you have a party which is being which is currently the majority of the party's elective officials are people who are afraid of their own voters. And we are, we are slowly going to see over the course of the next couple of years, those people be replaced by people who are true believers and avatars of those voters. And that's when shit's going to get real. Right. I mean, when, when Brad Raffensperger is, no longer the secretary of state of of Georgia and somebody who really loves the the MAGA hats in Georgia and is on their side as the secretary of state. That's when the Republican Party is going to really transform. And so I, I think people people who think like, oh, it's over. Oh, you know, that thing that happened three months ago, that's in the rearview mirror. We can move to the future. No, one of our two major political parties is in the middle of transforming. And uh, the transformation has happened at the grassroots level and happened at the base voter level, but it hasn't fully happened at the institutional level, but it's in the process of happening. Agree. I agree. And, you know, it took me uh, it took me a long time to get there. I, I look, and, and I think uh, we haven't really talked about this as much, but obviously uh, – I, my, my, my optimism had always led me to believe that, uh, look, I, I, I could see what was happening. It's not that I, I disagreed that, that this was where the Republican party was going. It's that I thought there was enough institutional power, um, enough responsible people, enough voters, uh, to sort of tr the Republic responsible Republican voters that could sort of pull the party back from the brink, especially if you if you just destroyed Trump, right? If he got thoroughly repudiated at the ballot box and you knocked him out, that there could be some kind of a fight for the soul of the Republican Party. 
but I was, I, I think, I don't, I don't know if I, it's that I was wrong about that. It's that that didn't happen, right? There was no thorough repudiation in part because people were there for it. The voters were changing over the four years. Look, maybe I was, maybe I was more right uh, at the beginning of the Trump phenomenon, but by the end of the Trump phenomenon, the fact was, you know, he went and found 10 million more people to vote for him. Uh, and there is no, and it, it's funny, um, or it's not funny, but one of the things we haven't talked about, he, you know, he called McConnell, you know, the stupid son of a bitch or whatever, uh, there and, and, and just really ripped McConnell, but all of like McConnell's people, McConnell world after, after trying right after the insurrection to take Trump on, they didn't go all in, right? They didn't do like Mitch McConnell could have could have gone at the time and whipped a bunch of people, senators, to try to put a stake through Donald Trump's political future. But he refused to do it. And so what is he doing now? He's saying, yeah, if Trump's the nominee in 2024, of course I'll endorse him. And he's out there sort of, you know, just having to like take his lumps. Donald Trump goes in front of all the Republican donors and calls Mitch McConnell names and like beats him up. And what McConnell's, the, all the McConnell stands out there uh, and people who, you know, are in McConnell world, what do they do? Isn't this, humi- this should be humiliating for them, but they're going to suck it up and take it because they've decided this is where the voters are. Everything's changed um, and they've got to go along to get along. It's amazing. And uh, the worst is in front of us. That's you know what this this is perfect. We can close the show with this because it's perfectly in keeping with the uh, how things go on the secret show. Since we've basically had a secret show takeover of Charlie's show, uh, the worst is in front of us. And I've been I've been writing for a long time now that I am short on America's future, and there are a lot of reasons for that. But one of them is that I don't think a liberal democracy can actually function in the long term with only one healthy political party. And, you know, we, we naturally are always going to tend to be something like 40, 40, 45, 45. Um, and if one of those two groups is going to be openly authoritarian, uh, one of these days they're going to get power again. And, uh, the problem here is the people, people vote for this. People chose this. And I, I look at the world around us and I don't understand it. I don't understand it. You know, throughout the Trump years, we were told, oh, nobody likes this stuff, but he's so strong because the economy is good. And people just vote the economy. And now we're looking out to 2024 and it looks like the economy is going to be great. And the answer is, well, that stuff doesn't really matter. Uh, They're just going to vote Republican because, uh, you know, people like divided government. And so all of these proto-insurrectionists will pay no price for any of the things that that they did, even though their party has stood sort of athwart the Democratic attempts to rescue America and fix the pandemic and bring the economy back. And suddenly all of the economic reality stuff won't matter. And this is just an indictment of the of the people. This is what the people want. And, uh, and I'm not sure how the rest of us are supposed to abide it because we live in a system where 42% of the people can impose their will on the rest of us. So, okay, well, don't worry. I'm not going to let the secret, I'm not going to let the show end like that as I don't on the, I, you should never short America. 
I am I am absolutely uh, I'm long on America. It's going to be okay, uh, but we do have some things that we should recognize right now that are <laughs> that are for real. Which is anybody who kind of saw that Joe Biden got elected and said, "Whew, it's over, dangerous past." Uh, the fact is, just mathematically, the Republicans are very likely to retake the House um, in 18 months. And Kevin McCarthy, who is uh, one of the original you know, progenitors of the big lie, who said, actually, Donald Trump won this election and we got to go fight, uh, he's going to be Speaker of the House. And that is a that is a real problem. I agree with you, JBL. Uh, but I think that, look, this is, we're in an incredibly disruptive information period. And, uh, you know, when you say the problem is the people, um, I agree with that. But, you know, there is a lot that can be done. We are not just sitting here um, with, with the political forces that are overwhelming us. There are things we can do about what's going on. And part of it is, you know, I go back to Marjorie Taylor Greene's district, where I've been doing a bunch of focus groups. And the fact is, when you talk to those voters and you say, did you know what she said about QAnon? Did you know what she said about 9-11? Did you know what she said about Parkland shooting? The answer is no, 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 and no. And there is a, um, at some point, we're going to have to figure out how to cut through the noise. Uh, and look, we, we just, there's a toxic information environment that people are living in. It's not that they're, I don't believe that they're bad people or that people are all bad in this sort of dark way. Um, I think we have to figure out how we reach those people. And I'm not convinced yet. The jury is out on whether or not, um, look, I, I think that what Joe Biden is doing right now, economically, I think there's some good in it. I think there's a lot of things I wouldn't do. Um, and I do get worried about inflation um, and and some of the repercussions of this. I don't think we can just spend endlessly. Uh, but I think, look, whether or not let's say let's say hypothetically we do have just an absolute gangbuster economy that will matter um i think the question is is does it matter more than the culture wars and people's need to kind of be angry and fight and i think the jury's out on that i'm not sure that that we know um but i don't think the theory of trying to make you know a material difference in people's lives a positive material difference in in their lives uh, as which is, I think, sort of Joe Biden's theory of the case uh, is necessarily a losing one. I just think there's like there's some structural forces, like the fact that it is going to be almost impossible for Democrats to hold on to the House uh, that that people have to contend with. Yeah. Well, uh, if you want to push back on this and fight against this stuff, you should come and join us at The Bulwark. Uh, if you're listening to the show and are not signed up for all of the free newsletters and good stuff we do from The Bulwark, you should go do that. Just come to thebulwark.com and sign up. Uh, and if you'd like to join Bulwark Plus and get The Secret Show, more of Sarah's big-hearted optimism and my crushing morosity uh then come join bulwark plus just uh go to plus.thebulwark.com and sign up today sarah thanks for coming and helping me hold down the fort for charlie we'll be back tomorrow we'll do this all over again